Hello everyone, uh, thank you so much for downloading this episode of Bees Pod. Uh, I'm delighted uh, to be joined this evening by my two erstwhile co-hosts. Uh, to my right, uh, I have Mem. Mem, uh, it's been a while since we did our interview with Dean Brennan. Can you just tell us and the listeners what you've been up to since then? So since then, I've been, been to a couple of games, watched a few games on, on streams, and then spent a couple of, week in, a couple of weeks in rainy France. Rainy France. So, if you were to kind of compare your your French trip to a Barnet away day, what would you what would you say it is? I would say, well, because it was a massive long journey, I would say it was like Aberdeen away, but with a kind of like a twist of kind of posh Aberdeen away. That was what. As it was in like. posh Peterborough, or just posh people in Aberdeen. As in posh town. Posh town Aberdeen. Yeah. Have Barnet ever played Aberdeen? Sorry. Have Barnet ever played Aberdeen? No. Pre-season friendly. Mm. <laughs> Why the hell would anyone? We can ask, would anyone... ask the audience: Have we ever played? Anybody know if we've ever played Aberdeen? I'm sure Reckless would know. Uh, I'm going to say probably not, uh, but that's good. Um, any particular talent out there? The next sort of you know Kenny G spotted on the on the terrains of Bordeaux. Sadly, not. No, no. I mean, young you know, young men. I mean, he's he's, he's developing his skills at the moment. So uh, you know, future Barnet captain, I think. Yeah, well, Charlie's already promised him a, a starring role on Saturday this evening. <laughs> um, and I'm also delighted to be joined uh, just to the left of me, Charlie. Charlie, tell us what you've been up to this summer. Um, been to Glastonbury, been to Ibiza, been to Galway. I was in Galway for a stag do during the first game of the season. I think I was the only man in, uh, in Galway fixed to Soccer Saturday cheering when Barnet scored. People looking at me like thinking, who does he support? Um, away day if you were to compare Galway I, I, I honestly I honestly do not know I, I was going to say the first thing that came to my head was Grimsby but that's doing Galway a huge it's being the G <laughs> yeah. no it's like it's very pedestrianised Pro- Exeter I'm going to say Exeter nice. very pedestrianised yeah a, it's kind of like student night out lifestyle lots of women lots of music and sort of by the coast, so okay. I'd, say, I'd say Exeter, it reminds me of an Exeter away. Was your trip to, to Galway from our sort of Republic of Ireland players, was it more a John O'Flynn or a Fard Sewell? It, it was a John O'Flynn, I'm glad to there hear was it. goals scored. Fantastic. Uh, well I took some time in Naples, which I decided to compare to Portsmouth, just because it was on the coast, very blue, uh, and there were lots of strange men with random musical instruments and lots of tattoos uh, standing around the streets, but it was a great time. Uh, and it's also been a great time for Barnet. Um, we are sitting pretty on the 5th of September, top of the league, seven games in, uh, five wins, uh, a draw, just a solitary defeat uh, away at Dagenham a couple of weekends ago. And obviously we're you know, even happier to have uh, announced, perhaps even more important than being top of the league, we finally beat Boreham Wood away, um, which is just phenomenal. And I think that's probably the best place to start, actually. Um, a 1-0 victory on Saturday. Um, Charlie, you, you probably didn't have much time between your walk, you know, to and from the ground. I think you said you live about four minutes away mm-hmm. uh, to kind of process it. But but kind of looking back on Saturday, it's probably a good place to start because we obviously finished last season with a defeat against Borehamwood. We went this Saturday to Borehamwood, um, albeit with with them having a few injuries and, and putting I think a vast mm-hmm. different performance and, and got a, obviously a very different result. What were your thoughts on Saturday first of all, and and then perhaps we can open that out to, to look at some other games this season. Well, first and foremost, it was lovely going there and have, having the sun shine on us rather than uh, waking up on Boxing Day 
full from your Christmas dinner the day before and standing there in the, in the freezing cold as we've done over the last four or five years. So yeah, it was nice. To, first and foremost, it was lovely to wear shorts, I guess. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it was a Christmas, it's a Christmas curse whenever we played in there. It's always, you know, it's always an underwhelming fixture. It's so much build up to the game and it's all, you always come away disappointed. Um, but it's the first time, I think, probably since we've been back in the, in the National League and playing Bourne Wood, um, that we've gone there and dominated. We've dominated and controlled the game, I'd say, for 90% of the match. We had the best chances, bar, bar, bar a back post header they had at the end. We had the best chances, we controlled the game. Um, you know, we were patient. I think that was the, the main thing to take out of that. We didn't panic at any point, even with 15 minutes to go. You know, when we brought our, our focal point in Kabamba off, mm-hmm. when we're looking for a goal, you know, to take our, to take our uh, goal scorer off to bring on, you know, Stead. Um, you know, it shows that we weren't panicking and we were trying to unlock them in different ways. And um, yeah, I feel like it was a, you know, as, as Luke Garrard said in his interview, he's re- always honest about his team performances and, and outcomes of games. He even said that they were beaten by the better team. And I think, you know, that's a um, honest sort of, um, you know, reaction to what we saw and what he must have saw. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just great to come away from there knowing that we deserve the victory. And I think we're, we're fully deserved of our place at the top of the table right now. Yeah, I think it's definitely a really positive result. Um, and I think psychologically, often, you know, we fell short last year. It's about kind of overcoming some of those psychological elements and to have already dispatched the side who, you know, we ultimately lost out on promotion to, Boreham Wood, insofar as we lost them in that in that semi-final. is a really positive mental step. I mean, if we look at the opening seven games then, um, comparing this season to last season, um, we obviously had, you know, a similar really positive start last year. After seven games, we'd... Um, we had 13 points, so we, we'd lost another game instead of winning one. Um, but, you know, scored a, a similar amount of goals, scored 14 this season and, 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 you know, scored 13 last season. But it does feel that this season we're a lot more solid in some of the wins and it feels like the performances have sort of kicked on to another level. What have you noticed across the opening seven games that's given you some, some cause for optimism so far, man? I think we're looking after the ball a lot better. That's my, my, my one thing. I, I would say um, I, wasn't at, I wasn't at the Daggers game, so I didn't get a chance to see the Daggers. But from what you guys have told me, that the Daggers, we've just played poorly. But in the games I've seen, uh, we are looking after the ball much better. Um, slightly reminiscent of when we were playing under Darren Curry. We were being patient, trying to move the ball. Um, there's a lot of similarities actually now starting to happen with this team and, and the Darren Curry team. Um, and I think that's really helpful. That's really handy. We've dominated. Like, bear in mind that we talked about the fixtures in um, the bin. This is a tough opening round of fixtures we've dominated pretty much every team and it only is and, and if anything we've actually in some of the games where it's been a bit closer it's because we've shot ourselves in the foot rather than the other teams being our equal and i think actually so far we've been really good value for um these wins where i kind of felt like last year we were a little bit fortunate to to be in the position we were in last year yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because i think that it does feel like we've got that real control. And um, Charlie, we were talking on the drive over about perhaps some of the personnel changes that, that Brennan's made this season. Obviously, we've got some real strength at the back with uh, with Aluo. Um, we've got some you know real potency that we had last season with Kabamba. But Charlie, in terms of what you've seen from the team this season, what is that that difference you think that's making us seem a lot more confident and a lot more fluid in games and it's ultimately leading us to, to having a better start than last year? 
I think first and foremost, what we haven't seen in years is, you know, you mentioned this in the early podcast we did in pre-season, about keeping the spine of the team, how important that is, uh, and not having too many changes around the squad going into a new season. That gave us a head start straight away. Um, but I'd say from, in terms of what Mem just mentioned, and in terms of, you know, uh, especially in the last five games from, from um, the Eastleigh game onwards, um, we've just been controlling possession and I think that has, if I have to mention one player I know I mentioned in the car, um, is Hartigan. Um, it's, I can't believe we've got him for a full season and the centre of midfielders in the Mansfield team must be top dollar because if they've got rid of him in only the league above us, you know, he's clearly a football league player. Um, and I think with him and Gorman in the middle of the park, um, you know, if you've got, if you've got the ball and you're controlling possession, there's less chance of the opposition scoring. Simple as that, really. And the fact that we have now got someone who is a ball-playing midfielder, he's confident on the ball. He's very, very, very classy, very intelligent. He makes other players around him better and calms the whole team down when we've got possession and when we're moving forward. Um, I think we're only going to see more of that. He's here for the season. Gorman's going to be here as well. Them two in the middle just making things tick. Um, I mentioned to you in the car on the way up. The only thing I think is going to be detriment to that, but we, you know, we don't care because if it's the team's playing better, we don't care. I think, well, I might speak on behalf of everyone, but in my opinion, Pritchard. It's going to be detriment to Pritchard because he's playing slightly further up. Almost he played almost as a right winger at Bournemouth. Um, I don't think he's got the pace to play as a right winger and you know you saw him having to track back on that right hand side as well um, I feel like he prefers to be a little bit deeper and he got all of his goals from sort of making that you know deep lying run that you know that the Lampards used to score or players mm -hmm. like that um, and I can't see that happening much this year in the role he's playing but if it's going to benefit the team then you know so be it Mem, you mentioned in your discussion at the sort of start of the season around the the way in which Brennan might reshape the midfield with the idea of potentially having a box midfield, which is something that's becoming quite popular in the in the sort of higher levels, whereby we look to incorporate at the time it was Gorman, Pritchard, and Brunt and Carney in a way that maximizes their attacking strength, but also gives us that sort of defensive solidity off the ball. Um, I was just wondering what you've sort of seen in in terms of our patterns. Is there anything different, perhaps? And yeah, I guess be interesting to sort of step in on Charlie's point there around around uh, Pritchard and you know do you feel that there's been some adjustments to the side that have made us collectively better but have perhaps reduced the individual impact of some of our best players from last season Pritchard being one and perhaps Walker being another someone who kept some lot of games last year but hasn't had to do the same amount this season well I think the interesting thing is the box is actually it can be a box it's, it's quite I think we mentioned this but I feel I mentioned this on maybe on Twitter um but what I feel is is that last year the fluidity came from the back. It came from the back four, like the morphing between a three, four and a five, depending on the game state and depending on the on the moves. Mm -hmm. But what I've noticed this year is that the fluidity is coming from the midfield. So whereas sometimes the, the four in midfield might be one at the base and then you've got almost like three number tens, occasionally then that swivels around and it becomes two holding players and two number tens. And that's where I see where the fluidities come in. And I think what what Dean's potentially done is that in trying to push Harry Pritchard forward, I think he's trying to lean in a little bit into Harry Pritchard's ability to score. And like you said, Charlie, maybe what what he might do is he might evolve that that might evolve that situation where he might 
Grinnell might look at it and go, well, actually, he does his best run, runs from deeper. Um, but I also think as well, is at the moment now, we've got Hartigan, we've got Gorman, Pritchard, we've got Brunt, we've got Carnu, mm. and we've got Armstrong. All fight out for four spots in six players, and all six of them are class, yeah. really good players. So I've got. I think he's going to go for horses for courses, and I, was, I think we're going to have to see the games where Gorman will sit down, or games where Carnu will sit down, and he. And I think what he'll do is he'll look at the opposition and he'll decide. I don't see Gorman. I think Gorman, unfortunately, might end up being if there's a choice between him and Hartigan. I think it will be Hartigan. Mm. But if he decides to go for a bit of solidity, I think he'll go with both of them together. But what it gives us as well is this amazing ability that we can keep rotating that midfield, which keeps that energy levels up. And we won't have that drop-off like we have last year. M- me and Ian were saying as well on the way here, there's even an opportunity to bring in Canu for Coca. And Canu can do the, the left wing-back role in certain, in certain games. It's true, yeah. Do you true. know what I mean? And we've, yeah. got that, we've got that attack and pace on that left side, which we don't necessarily have with with Coker, and then it allows you to play one extra midfielder as well instead of instead of Cannon. Just on those points, I think the point about horse for courses is so key. If we look at the Bromley game, the second game of the season, like Armstrong was critical to instigating a higher press that led to that second goal. Right, he gives that real energy, particularly on three G, where he's able to sort of turn and be a bit more mobile. I remember speaking to Trevor, who said that you know he played on three um, G at Worthing as well, I believe. So he's yeah. got that kind of experience. Yeah. You then look at some other players, like someone like a Hartigan, I think is really key in, in just being that solid solid sort of like recycling and possession. But potentially if you're wanting to go for a slightly more, and we didn't do it against Bournemouth this time around, but if you're trying to go to a slightly more like vertical game where you want to almost bypass that midfield. So think about two two years ago when we played Bournemouth at home, we won under that Brennan team where I think it was Reese Cox scored. We were very direct and we, we kind of pushed like three of their, or almost played a 4-2-4. You can see a case there for having like Armstrong and someone else in there. So I think the flexibility is key. It does take us, though, to an interesting point around management. And, you know, a couple of things really stood out to me on this before we come back to the tactics. Brennan has been noticeably not critical, although he has been in certain points, but he's been very blunt. He's been very much trying to publicly keep people's feet on the ground and say that we've set a new standard, a new expectation, and kind of looking at last season and, and saying, well, we, we want to achieve real success, not the success we achieved last season where we fell short. Obviously... That's really great, and it's it's got us in a good position so far with a very tough run of games. But we know from the past, and I think it was Martin Allen when he won the conference previously, and I think, I can't remember if he said it or Jack Sewell said it, that he, he used to spend a lot of time managing players who were not in the side because that, that was such a big part of it, particularly when you're you know pushing on. I guess, Charlie, first of all, like in terms of his public uh, kind of critical um, or criticism of certain players, particularly Commander and Walker, he knows those guys really well, and I'm sure it's done with that in mind. But... Are you mindful of the fact that the kind of success in the competition can also have some negative things, and we might need to manage that quite carefully throughout the season, um, perhaps? Yeah, I remember. I remember um, when we did the episode with Dean. I remember that was one of my questions to him. I said, "Is this going to be something new to you? You know, you've, not, you've never had a squad with us where you've had to leave first team players out because realistically, we can make two. We can make two elevens really with the team we've got now. Our, our second eleven could probably finish mid table in the national league." Um, but you know, it's I'm I, I trust the staff and I trust the management and we know how big Dean is on togetherness. I trust that everyone, you know, everyone in that dressing room will have a part to play this season. Even your, you know, your Courtney seniors and 
Even the even the keeper that doesn't. I'm, I'm not even sure he was on the bench on the weekend, was he? Or yeah, he was. I think he was just almost a precaution after was. that game last week with all the shot. Even Gilmore, you know, we've not seen him. He's barely been on the bench, but you know he'll have a part to play in the success we have because I'm sure he's a character and I'm sure he's been brought in for a reason. So I feel like it's a place, a happy place to be, um, and you know, and I don't think Dean will take any crap if you know it, it does go the other way. I, I, I'm, I've got a little sort of, not theory per se on this, on the scenario with um, Walker and Kabamba because I look at the team and I think who are the only two players that don't really have competition? It is Kabamba and Walker because everybody else is now slugging it out for, and there is literally competition in every position now, apart from those two, two areas. And I wonder whether he, there is something in the back of his mind thinking, I've just got to keep these two from getting complacent. I know that um, I think it was I think it was Laurie's dad come back at me on on not come back at me but sort of commented to me on um, on Twitter. But with all best best will in the world, there is if you're a player and you know your position is pretty much sewn up, there sometimes you can get a little bit you know you can get, switch off a little bit. And I wonder whether or not he's looking at it going okay I've got these two guys and it, I need to make sure that these two are still at the same level as everybody else in terms of motivation. Like you look at that, look at Ben Winter now. Ben Winter is, is gonna have a massive tussle with Reese uh, Johnson, um, uh, Hall Johnson. Those two now, because Winter's come in and he's played well, hasn't he, for a couple of games. Mm. So you've got the six in midfield, okay? You've got, um, you've got the back, you've got the defenders now, we've got, we've got, we've got, we've got covering defense as well. There is competition all over the pitch except those two guys and I think he just wants to keep them as motivated as the rest of the team is to, to fight for their place I think what's really interesting about that is that I would also say that last season Walker and Kabamba had outstanding seasons like as in they were phenomenal and I think at both ends of the pitch talking about like the performance of this season one of my big things about not negativity going into the season but be it the realism was that we outperformed our underlying stats last year by quite a considerable margin in terms of XG in terms of goals expected to concede etc and I feel that, you know, the assumption that Laurie and, and Nicky would go on and have such great seasons again is, is going to be really hard because they were both, you know, I, I, I remember Kabamba, we talked about that Chesterfield game last season, for example, where he scored a hat-trick out of nothing and won us the game. The amount of times that Walker saved us was just extraordinary. And so it's it's interesting to me that he's gone with that approach. But I completely see what you're saying, Mem, around, around that need for competition and that need to keep everyone on their toes. Go on. I've actually, I've actually experienced scenarios, and you know, don't get me wrong, I've never managed at pro level, but I have coached at, you know, reasonable level, and I had a situation with a guy, and he only ever played well when he was angry, and when he was, and when he was comfortable, he was too soft, and he was like literally, as soon as you What's made him, Michael Leary, I know, uh. but when, it, but as soon as I made him angry, as soon as I took him out of the team, and you know, and upset him because he didn't like being out of the team, he came back and he wanted to prove me, he wanted to prove points to me, so it was almost like I had to poke the bear with him. To get him to play, um, and that would get, like to get him to play consistently because he could play, but as soon as he got as soon as he got comfortable, he, he wasn't the same player. So it's almost like I'm wondering whether he's trying to put put a rocket up Kabamba and rocket up Lorry to try and just keep them keep the fire burning. I think to be fair, I, I think I'm in a position where I really do trust Dean's judgment on on managing the squad and particularly mm. with those two who he's worked with throughout his career. What's been interesting though, Charlie, is this season we've seen, you know, if you look at the core from last season, Pritchard, Kabamba, uh, Walker, Gorman, obviously have all played really big roles, but it's probably been a couple of players 
who have come in who have had a really, really big impact. I think Collins has been absolutely outstanding. But the guy alongside him, Adi Aluwo, looks like a, an absolute find. Hartigan obviously playing really well. Mm-hmm. Just talk to a little bit about uh, about Aluwo because he looks to be, of all the players we've signed, the one that's really taken to the like a you know, duck to water, really. Yeah, he, he's an outrageous centre-half. Um, I think he's 22, is he? 22, like that, yeah. yeah, 22. And Brett Dean said that he, he'd never... Um, this is his first professional contract. He's got a degree in uh, economics, I think it is, or something. Uh, you know, he's, he's amazing. And I think, I think he fits... He, he's a great player, and I'm sure he was great at Chelmsford, which is why we picked up on him. I think it's our, the, way, the way we are and the way we play and the two we have either side of him... I think benefits him because you've got what I've noticed from Oluwu is he's got so many attributes and he's an amazing player but I'd say he's still good on the ball but I'd say on the ball is his probably his weakest attribute out of everything but you've got Collins and Akimo either side who are both experienced defenders comfortable on the ball um, can travel can travel out with it but then you've got Oluwu bang in the middle of them who just does everything else just cleans up all the mess you know he's the fa- he's the fastest. He's the strongest. Um, he's probably the best in the air out of all of them. Um, so I think him in the middle of those two, it's literally the perfect combination of three centre halves. What I've been really impressed with of him is it was interesting listening to Luke Garrett's interview before the Barnet game on Saturday, and he mentioned that in the semi final they targeted like um, Potter, right? They targeted Potter, and they say said Dean often leaves his players at the back one on one to create overloads elsewhere on the pitch. And that still happens today, right? If you look at our set pieces, for example, we often go 2v2 at the back and we trust that players are going to do that. But with Aluo, he's obviously got the, the physical attributes to help him out in those 1v1 battles, but his reading of the game defensively is, is outstanding. Um, and it's noticeable that sometimes with players who come up from the, the National League South, they are very used to, because it's a lot of pinball football in that, in that penalty area. It's one of the biggest differences, I think, between the, the two leagues. You need someone there who's very reactive to, to danger. Um, but what he has been brilliant at is actually snuffing out danger before it happens. And as good as he is in the air, and you know, obviously we saw him score that fantastic header on Saturday, his reading of the game has been fantastic. Um, and he just looks like an absolute, an absolute star. One of the one of the interesting things, Mem, in, in, in terms of this season has been defensive solidity. Um, and obviously we've, you know, we've obviously not caught, kept every single game as a clean sheet. We've had three clean sheets so far. Um, against uh, Woking, against Bromley and obviously against Bournemouth on Saturday. This time last season we conceded 13 goals in seven games. This day, this time it's down to eight. But one of the interesting things has been that of the eight goals we've conceded, five of them have come after the 82nd minute. Um, and that's a really interesting stat. I, I don't know because they've all sort of come in slightly different circumstances. But defensively, man, what have you noticed perhaps in how we're setting up that's given us a bit more stability in terms of stopping attacks? But also, what do you think has led to us perhaps conceding some of those later goals? We think that's the Hartlepool game, the Eastley game being a good example, even the Dagenham game. What do you think that is about? Does it say something about our fitness levels, our mentality? What is it that's perhaps not seeing us close out those games in the way that we really should be, you know, if we're being really picky? I haven't seen... So I picked out in the Eastley game, I picked out a couple of technical uh, issues around body spacing and things like that, and not cutting out crosses. Uh, at, at at source, but I think we've been we've been in control of so many games, and I think what's happening you can't be in control of all the game the whole time. And what I've noticed is in the games where we've just slightly dipped, 
where we 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 suddenly lost control of the ball or like lost control of the possession for a bit. We seem to be getting punished. We seem to be a bit far too easy to get um, to play through when we don't have the ball. So, I think some of it might be around anticipation of if we don't if we lose the ball, is not allowing ourselves to be is 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 having sort of that. Um, there are a lot of teams that do what they do is they sort of they almost train to lose the ball and then be looking at you know sometimes you get like the sort of gag pressing. Yeah. But I, I can't see we're not going to be gag pressing in the eighty second minute. But the point I'm making is, is they they know automatically they anticipate the ball is if they lose the ball where everybody needs to be rather than allowing the team to cut straight through us. Um, the other thing I was um, noticeable as well is I think that there has also been times when I've noticed that even at the end we've actually played done really well to see our games. I thought Eastley we did. The last 10 minutes, 20 minutes, we dominated the ball. And then and then one stupid like play and they and we got punished. And I think some of that might be an experience. Some of that might still be there's still some you know still some teething problems with the you know like the, the defence um early in the season. But I don't see it at the moment as being a big problem. When you, especially when you look at how many goals Chesterfield shipped and how many goals Hartlepool shipped as well already this season. I wonder if this, because this, this league is so close this season, whether or not there's going to be a lot more closer games. Yeah, I think that's that's a really valid point. Um, and I think, you know, as you said, it's it's easy to look at numbers and look at outside games and think, OK, you can see lots of late goals. You're therefore slacking off or your fitness levels aren't right or whatever it is. But I think if you look at the games, we've been, been in control for lots of them. And that's real credit to Dean, I feel, and, and the coaching team. Go on, Charlie. I think as well, just in terms of what you were saying about seeing our games, I thought Saturday... Bournemouth that to, to score that late on you know you'd think when you score with 15-10 minutes to go you'd think that Bournemouth would start to pepper us and try and go for the equaliser I know they had a chance at the end but even when we scored you know even when the board went up we were just playing it around like casually you know just dominating um, and I think that's all down to the um, confidence that the team now have when we have the ball we did, we did that against Eastleigh and it's the thing we got criticised for the fact that we conceded that late goal but for 20 minutes before that, Eastley didn't get a kick and they had one attack and scored their equaliser in the like 97th minute. I've had a look at that again. I think that was just an ind- I think that was an individual error of Gorman. If you watch that clip back, Paul McCallum does a long throw, we clear it, and Gorman gets something on it, but he, he could have hoofed it. Could have hoofed it down the other end of the pitch and we would have probably he would have probably would have blown up and we would have got the three points. I think to be fair, based on that, I think there was I don't think it was actually gone, but there was some yeah, it's one of those classic last minute goals. I was at that game, we were outstanding. The first half an hour we were phenomenal. And actually we had some really good chance to win. I think Hall Johnson had a great chance, Kavam had a good chance. So, you know, that that those games happen, especially at the start of the season. I said it at the time on the way back to the guys in the car and also online, like it's sometimes good to have those reference points so that, you know, as long as you bounce back, yeah. you know, you've got them so you know what to do next time. But we should, we, me and him were saying this on the way here, if you think, I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but, you know, if we don't concede that last minute goal at Eastley, we're talking seriously fine margins here, that, that's another two points, and Dagenham, we didn't deserve to, we didn't deserve anything from Dagenham, but if that own goal doesn't go in, that's another point, we'll be three points clear at the top, unbeaten, after eight games with that run of fixtures, which is... Who like no one would have even thought or considered that at all. Totally, but the thing is, I think everything that, that we've done so far this season is a lot. I'm not gonna say slapdash, but I felt 
like you said Ian before about the fact that we uh, we totally outperformed our our, um, our you know expected goals or you know our sort of the way the, the performance of the the performance the res- of the team the last year. The results were higher than the performances. Yeah. yeah. So this season though, the performances have been really good. Mm. Yeah. And it's not just that we're playing, we're going through a purple patch and we're just battering teams. It's the structural performance. It's, it's, so there's a difference. There's like, when you've got a structure in place that you are winning the ball every, all the time and you're moving it and you're controlling possession and stuff like that, that's structural, that's coaching. And the other things is that we need to do now is the little details around when we lose the ball, where do we need to be? When we lose the ball, what do we do next? What, how do we switch on? That sort of stuff, Dean can look at and go, all right, that we've, we'll, this is what we need to be doing. And this is how, these things are just, and they're like builds. They build and build and build and you build on your team. Yeah. But at the moment, we've got all the core foundations that seem to be in place at the moment. And, and crucially for me, the entire process this summer has been additive. And we're going to come on to Zach Brunton in a minute because I can't believe we've gone 25 minutes without talking about him. What's that on you, Charlie? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we all sponsor him. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the key thing for me is it's been additive. Like, we've still scored goals from set pieces. Saturday scored from set piece. Eastie scored from a set piece. I'm sure he scored another one from a set Well, the, the one against um, Bromley was you know, technically from a set piece, I guess. So the point is that we had that foundation last year. It's been additive. And even though it's seven games in and it's like a three-point difference to last year, you know, you think back to the opening games of last season, there were quite a few where we were, you know, it was very much on the line. And actually, I think this season it feels really strong. And that's why, you know, there are going to be some games where we, you know, because it's tight margins are tightly. There's going to be a couple of games where we, we get it wrong. We're going to, you know, we're going to lose, we're going to drop points, etc. There's going to have the obesity here and there. But over a 46-game season, I'm really happy with where we're going. But Charlie, you've been, uh, you know, almost kicking me underneath this table. Um, Zach Brunt. I mean, we talk a lot about players that have had a big impact. I think numerically, you know, it's not as though he's come in like Kabamba and scored five and, you know, I'm going to have to start, you know, uh, you know, whatever the punishment is for being the first one to lose their pre-season prediction bet. But he's had such an impact on the pitch in terms of our attacking play, our movement, as well as that outstanding performance a few weeks ago against Woking. Mm. What what do you think he's added to the squad? And yeah, just tell us a little bit about how you think he's really helping us move forward as a team. Uh, he's he's an incredible player. He's uh, you know he's bringing that sort of uh, flair and when he's such a watchable player, when he gets the ball, it's just so natural to him. Like he was born to be a footballer. It's just, he just flows with it so beautifully. I do think um, he I wouldn't say goes missing. But he's a kind of player who, you know, can be. He's sometimes not in the game, but it doesn't matter because you know he's always there, and you know he's got that bit of quality where he can just pop up and you know do anything at any at any point. Like even even when he scored the double against uh, Woking, um, after his first goal, you know he wasn't really in the game, and then he pops up, you know, in the second half with that absolute wonder of a of a right foot um, that sort of looked like it was from where we were sat in the Legends. It looked like it was going wide, but it just kept bending round. Um, I, I think, you know, he's nowhere near his peak. We've not seen the best of him yet. He's only going to get better. We've got him permanently as well. Um, you know, he's, got, he's a great character. He loves, he obviously loves it here. Like when you see him at the start of games coming over and clapping, he's so passionate and, you know, kissing kissing fans on the forehead at Boreham Wood and everything. You know, he's, he's happy to be here. He's a beautiful footballer. Um, and I think you know it just brings that bit of class in the middle of the park, which is you know doesn't doesn't go to waste at all. Man, I, I don't want to force you into a comparison with your favourite ever player, Luisma, but there there is something similar, perhaps in a slightly mercurial talent who, you know, is about magical moments as much as it is about delivering a ninety-minute performance. What, what do you think 
Brennan's trying to do in adding Brunt to the side. And it, it feels like he's obviously, as, as Charlie said, he is delivering these magical moments, but he's not necessarily doing it every single week. He's not like, you know, uh, a Tom Naylor at Chesterfield or whatever. He's, he's obviously providing these incredible moments and, and adding so much to the team, but it feels like there's something else that he's adding that we're perhaps not quite seeing, whether it's, I don't know, a calmness in the final third that the other players feared or the, you know, the, the fact that opposition teams might need to drop one extra player on him to open up some more space. Have you noticed anything about how he's really changed some of our attacking shapes at all in, in terms of his play specifically? Yes, I think, well, I think the key to it is that sometimes in last season we were a bit shoddy, not shoddy, a bit sloppy in possession in the final third. Uh, we we had moments we we used to build and we used to keep possession, but in the final third we were quite poor at keeping possession, which meant that the, the games were a bit end to end. And we talked about the fact that there was a bit of a basketball feel to some of our games, and I think what we've got now we've got a guy who's got te- who's technically very secure, so we can give him the ball in the final third. And although he might not have to do, not, he might not do the most spectacular thing every week, we've got a guy now that we can zip the ball into in the final third, keep it, and then the team pushes on. Um, you know, it makes, it, makes, it makes a huge difference if you can do that because you could pop, pop balls off him. And the thing is as well, is that in the games where we need a bit of magic, he will pop up with some magic. And this team is a very, there is a lot, there is a lot of kind of very workmanlike players in our side. And he just sprinkles a little bit of stardust on it in the games and in the moments where we need that bit of extra quality. And having him in the team always gives us that uh, potential to do that. Um, whereas in the past we've had to sort of kind of almost um, rely on the fact on, you know, on just blood and you know blood, sweat and tears almost in some respects. Make people making lung bursting runs and things like that. Now we've got somebody there in that area who can cause who can give teams another, um, you know, another thing to think about. I guess Charlie, the the kind of looking ahead then in terms of fixtures and in terms of where we want to kind of get to. A lot of people have sort of been clamouring perhaps for a second striker to support Cabamba. We saw Stead come on really to kind of deliver his first real performance on Saturday where he was really brought in as someone to witness the game. You know, it was nil-nil with about 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes to go, and he came on. And I think I'm really interested in, in that discussion actually what, what Brennan was thinking there, and it obviously clearly worked. Um, but do you feel that there's anywhere else in the side that we might look to strengthen, particularly now the window's shut, or do you feel that we kind of got a really rock-solid side and as we were saying earlier, any any new faces might unsettle the vote slightly. If we were going to bring someone in, it would it would obviously be a striker. But you know, I'm, I think I think give Stead a chance. Like we're all saying, we need another striker. We have we have got another striker there, and yeah, he's not proved himself because he doesn't have the chance to play for us. But he clearly knows where the goal is. Brennan clearly rates him, and I think you know, give him give him a chance. If and if. People, if, we, if the reason why we want to get another striker was in case Kabamba gets injured or to, you know, get Kabamba subbed off early to, to rest him or whatever, then Stead's, Stead's fine for that. You know what I mean? He comes on with 20 minutes to go on um, on Saturday and I think he gave Bush and Firefield, you know, that was the last thing they wanted after a, after a game where they'd been, you know, working, the, def- the defenders tirelessly working to try and stop Kabamba and keep their defensive structure for 90, 90 odd minutes, to then have a, a, a small, nippy um, pest. You know, pest who would chase a crisp packet in the wind, as <laughs> Brennan says, to have him come on and run the channels and ch- charge down literally everything. He charged down everything. 
that's, that's the worst thing that could have happened to them. I bet they were thinking, oh, well, you know, we'd rather Kabamba on because that's easy to deal with. We could just back up into him and header it away or, or shoulder barge him off it. So I think, and he was unlucky not to score, Stead. If he gambled, I don't know if you remember it, I think it was Canu who crossed it right mm. across goal or Coca. Mm. And um, if he had gambled and stuck a leg out, he would have been able to just tap that into an empty net. But you know what, we've got another striker there and I think I think give him a chance. He impressed me when he came on Saturday. So yeah, who, who knows, he might he might be a, a really important player for us this season. Finally, for the, the last part of the, the first section of the pod, um, Mem, we, we spoke at the start of the season in the pre-season, pre-season preview, sorry, about these seven games and about how hard it was going to be perhaps to, you know, we talk about managing expectations and making sure we didn't get too kind of, you know, despondent if we didn't get a great start. But 16 points from this run of seven seems like a fantastic return. Um, you know, if you would sort of sum up now how these seven games have changed your views for the rest of the season, you know, you were quite positive going into the season. Do you feel that we're, we're you know, seven games in, in a serious chance of this title challenge? Or do you feel that, you know, there's still some really strong sides out there who will come on to later on that, that might still be a threat for us, man? I think we I think we've put ourselves amongst it now. I think the fact the fact that we've had such a strong start, there, there is there is elements and I you know, I don't want to get too carried away, but there are elements of the Paul Fairclough year where basically we, we nobody was had nobody was expecting us to be near the top. And then we just kept winning games early on, early doors and then by the, we, we create a gap so we've got now got a bunch of very winnable games the games that we were looking at beyond because we were saying about the first seven and then, be, then okay if we can get through these games but then the next ones after that are very winnable well we've just got through these with really good points total so the next ones are winnable if we get through those with a similar points total there is a very very good chance we'll still we'll be top by several points and i know i'm not being i don't think i've been i don't think i've been over top but i think the way we're playing we're very, we're very capable of doing this. I agree. I, 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 we are t- we are title challengers. I'm gonna say that after the after the first seven games, I think we're one of five who are gonna who are gonna fancy themselves for the for the title. Um, you know, and and South End, if South End didn't have their points deduction, they'd be fifth. I think three points behind us. So I'm not gonna put them in the five because you know they're obviously down there. But I think you've got us, Chesterfield, Hartlepool, Woking. And I think Rochdale will be up there as well. I think they're they're the five teams I think that are, are, are you know can, will fancy themselves to win this. Um, we might go into it later, but I think you know as long as Unsworth's manager are older, they're not going to be up there. We love that. Um, and you've got to look at it, you know we're we're joint top with Chesterfield, the title favourites. We've had a much harder start. We you know what what are we doing that they're not? We've had a harder start. They they've conceded more goals than us. Um, I just think you've got to, we've got to put ourselves we've got to put ourselves up with Chesterfield. Um, I, I I think we'll be up there for sure. I can't Chesterfield are currently conceding two col- two goals a game. That's not sustainable for a title challenge, in my opinion. Uh, I know I know they start unless they unless they stop stop shipping goals at the back. I can't see Chesterfield making a title challenge. I know they've done they've got racked up these points. But at some point in the season, you know, they, that won't happen every week. They also, as well, were lucky to to get the two because the first game of the season they scored last minute winner against Dorking, literally the last kick. And Saturday away at uh, Aldershot, Joe Quigley scored with the last kick of the game as well to win it. So they've been lucky to get those six points as well. 
Um, you know, on another day, that's six points lost. Solihull are the ones that I'm concerned yeah, about. Yeah, I was going to come on Solihull. I think Solihull are a good side and they've obviously actually been really smart with their recruiting because they let a few players go at the end of last season, I think Joe Spire, etc. Who and people were saying at the time, you know, why, you know, you're essentially mothballing the team, but they've done a really smart job on recruitment. Go on, Charlie. I, I, I disagree. I disagree. I, I think Solihull are, and this could come back to bite me, but I think they're going to drop off. I think they're like what we were last year. We got off to that amazing start. I think we're going to see them drop off in the next few weeks. I just think them, they've got a new manager in. I think he came from Banbury, Banbury United or something. Are they the league below? I don't know. Banbury he came from. And I just think, I don't know. I just think it's too soon for him to, you know, assemble this new side and challenge for a title in his first season. Uh, I think, uh, you know, he's naive to think if, if he's going to, you know, just come in and dominate. They've got off to an amazing start, but... I don't. I can't see them being up there at the end of the season. I, I think a couple of things from me. I think it's very, very early days, um, and and the reality is that you know we we're on sixteen points. There are four teams within a point of that, right? There's us in Chesterfield at the top on sixteen. Solihull, Hartlepool, Ebbsfleet, Halifax, Woking, etc., and Rochdale, Auckland. Uh, so I think it, it's very, very early days. I would say about Chesterfield, the style of football that that um, Paul Cook plays does sometimes take a little bit of time to get going because they're a very possession-based side, and you know they they were excellent last season and very you know they were playoff, you know shootout against one of the, well two of the best teams obviously to have ever played in the national league, but one of them in Notts County I think is better than Wrexham. I think they're a better side. You know they were within a pound shootout of that going up. So I think there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of kind of caution around there. I think what's really surprised me this season, not so much in terms of the outcome, but I think for them is is York and Oldham. You know, mm. York have spent a lot of money on a lot of very poor players. Um, Oldham spent even more money on a, the worst manager, I think, you know, for that, that club. The guy is completely hopeless. Um, so the longer he stays, the, the happier I'm going to be. But for now, I'm enjoying the ride. I think it's going to be up and down. I think we're, you know, we're, we're looking solid. And I think the most important thing for me is that the performances are, are, in, are in line with the, perform- with, with the results. And, and that's a really good place to be. Um, we're going to take a little break here for the for the first part of the pod, and then we're going to come back uh, in a very very quick moment to go through some of the fantastic questions that we had. Charlie, do you um, remember just how many questions we had in for this evening's show? Yeah, I think I went on the Twitter earlier, and there was thirty five questions from uh, supporters all over the country, from Barnet fans to Chesterfield fans to Oldham fans. So yeah, we've got a wide range of questions to get through. I hope all of those thirty five people have all voted for us in the. Uh... <laughs> Very smooth, man. Um, but no, thank you so much for sending those questions. We absolutely love this part of the show. So we'll be back with you in just a moment to go through those fantastic questions. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the first part of the show. We're delighted now to get into the second part where we're going to be answering so many of these fantastic questions that you have very kindly sent through. Um, we looked at grouping them up before the show, but actually there are so many good ones and, and they come through in a really nice way that we just kind of kind of go chronologically and, and do our best to answer them. And I think we may have answered a couple of them throughout the show, but um, we'll do our best to get through all of them. So we've, I think, d- discussed the one from JDK103 about our new striker in, insofar as we're, we're happy with Stead. But um, Nick here with a couple of great questions. So we're actually just going to bounce this around in sort of uh, you know one-by-one style. Standout player so far this season. So um, Charlie, I instead of saying a couple just go with the one that you think has stood out the most to you this season and why please I'd say Olu I'll go with Olu I just think he's brought in such a stability at the back an area on which at this part of the season last year we struggled with Um, he's young exciting he scores you know he scores goals scored two already this year I think 
and he's everything you want in a. In a he's an old-fashioned centre half in the National League as a 22-year-old. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. Mem, if you were to pick your your one outstanding player this season, who would it be, please? Right, I'm not going to repeat what Charlie said because I would I wouldn't would have said Luru, but I'm going to say Hartigan. Um, on the basis of the fact, I just I, I really like the control he, he gives us and the tempo, um, and he just looks really assured. You know what they say though: never fall in love with a low knee. <laughs> I think we all have. That's what Boran was said about Brunt last year. Um, for me, actually, I think it's really refreshing that we've actually got three candidates here, but for me, it's going to be Danny Collinge, mm. uh, who, who really is my favourite Barnet player. But um, I think he's been outstanding, that goal threat he's talked about. And I think he also sort of sums up what this side is all about, which is players who have, you know, see not Barnet as the highlight of their career, but, uh, you know, are performing better at Barnet than they have perhaps done at previous levels, added goal threat, so good on the ball, and, and real turning into a leader as well for us back there. Um, and the second question from Nick. Again, we'll, we'll kind of go through this. We've talked about it briefly already in terms of you know biggest surprises and biggest disappointments, but Charlie, let's go just with the surprises side of it, a side that positively surprised you so far this season. Um, I'll, I'll say absolutely. Um, I thought Have you been I, reading my uh, pre-season predictions? <laughs> I, thought they, I thought they made a really, gave a really good account of themselves um, on Bank Holiday Monday at the Hive. Um, apart, from, apart from Josh Wright, absolutely biting to uh, one of our fans, Ollie Minton, after Ollie Minton told him he should retire. <laughs> and Josh Wright offered him out into the car park. Um, but no, I thought they were brilliant. I think they've got, you know, they've got the top goal scorer in the league at the minute in Polion. Um, and I think it's always difficult coming up from a league. You know, you know whether, look at, look at League Two, not County at top. Wrexham are, I think, below mid-table in League Two. So you never really know how they're going to settle. But um, I think, yeah, full props to Edgefleet. I thought they've done really well and they gave a really good account of themselves, good stuff. Man, what about you? Um, your your sort of stand outside so far this season. I would say absolutely, but I don't. I don't think anybody stood out against us. What the ones that are, the ones are, I think Eastley, if they get their, they get themselves together. They've got so much firepower. I think I can see them. You know, if they can sort out the rest of their team, um, I can see they're hurting a lot of teams uh, this year. Just like the way they did with us, they barely had any chances. And when you've got those two up front. Um, so I think I would say easily the ones that I think can hurt will hurt teams and probably cause uh, cause some cause some a bit you know some confusion amongst that top of the table. Yeah, I I joined Charlie on absolutely there. I think that you know it's still very early days, difficult to tell, but they they've been really really positive. Um, a, a question here from Nicholas. I think this is an interesting one, and you know, like by a lot of people, it says how has Brennan managed to create such a feel good feeling around the club and fan base? And I think that's particularly relevant considering that this season the expectations were different you know last season it was kind of almost a free hit in regards to the fact that we'd had such a bad couple of seasons beforehand but Charlie first of all we talked a little about his communication being different what do you what do you sense about Brennan this season that's perhaps different from last year and you know he's obviously focusing on togetherness but it seems like there's a real push around standards as well what, mm. what do you think he's trying to do to kind of galvanize the the club at the moment I think he's just he's just an honest. He's an we've got an honest manager who gives us honest interviews. Um, you know, it, what you, what he says is what you get. What you see is what you get. Should I say? Um, and I think it makes such a change where we've got uh, we've got a manager who genuinely, genuinely, you can see it in his. You know, you can hear it in his voice. You can see it in his eyes when he talks. He wants to succeed here, and he wants the fans to have a team to be proud of. And I think that you know that's resonating with the fans, and we can actually see a team that he's put together in two years. Well, yeah, two years since he took over. Um, you know the transformation that from from that Bromley game where Kew we lost two 0 and Kew 
you know, the game before Kiel got sacked. It's just outrageous where where we've where we've got to, and I think everyone's put his trust, everyone's put their trust into him, and um, you know, everyone is on board with what he's doing, and I feel like that just naturally has brought everyone together, and I think it's only going to you know progress as we go on. Mem, just following on from Charlie's there, perhaps a slightly different aspect of the management. We talked about his management of the players and, and how that's changed. How, do you sense there's any way that which he perhaps needs to manage the supporters this season a little bit differently? Because you know, with the expectation, with the hype, with the excitement, is there a risk that we start getting a little bit carried away and that, that manifests itself perhaps into some of that moaning hive stuff that we've had in previous years where things haven't quite gone as well as we'd like? That's a difficult question, that is. Because I think he's done... Although he doesn't like stuff, I've seen a few complaints about him not doing post and always not always doing interviews and stuff like that for every game. But then he's opened the doors to us several times, and I think what he's, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to get he, he's open. He's essentially he's trying to be a, he's, he's trying to be open as a person to like he's let people come into his, into his area. And I've never known this much access for, to the manager, you know, in terms of for supporters. Uh, I know Martin Allen used to do that, but Martin Allen would never have gone up come on Beast Pod. Um, like you know, uh, like the dean has. In terms of managing expectation, I think the key to it is I think supporters do like though a manager coming out and calling out and saying that was crap and not trying to you know like I'll give you an example Ten Hag against against Arsenal the other day he was trying to like literally like blaming everybody but the, the fact that his team lost um, for you know because they lost they lost game three one and I think supporters see through that and I think what the, you get with Dean is a very honest. Uh, assessment of where things are and I think the thing as well is what he's done is to help him get you know to, to get buy-in from the supporters he's he fills a team with very honest players players that will play for the badge players that will not slack off and he's got rid of all the dead wood and he's got rid of all the players that are basically just sitting in you know sitting in the injury room the whole time don't want to play so I think without actually doing it always being front and centre and all the inter- doing loads of interviews for the, the website, etc, etc. What he's doing is he's putting a representation of himself out on the pitch, which reflects the sort of thing that supporters do respond to. Players that will give be wholehearted, players that will give everything for the badge. And he plays an exciting brand of football where we do score a lot of goals. So, everybody, every, every manager's got their own thing. So I suppose in summary, really, I think he's just got a slightly different way about it, and he just he just he kind of knows how to tap into what a fan likes. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think he's doing a really really good job around it, and I think he's also letting you know Kirk and and Connor kind of do their bit as well. You know, I think giving Connor the the pre match stuff is a really nice touch, and I think yeah, it's, it's a team effort, uh, which is something that he's always he's always mentioned. Um, the next question we we sort of touched upon, but thanks to Spire Stats, a Chesterfield, um, I'm assuming fan there, talking about you know Ali Oluwa, which we we talked about here. Rory Edwards has come with, with two really good questions. Um, and I think we, we kind of touched on the first one, perhaps. Are we in dangers of peaking too soon or can we expect to sustain the success? I think we've talked quite a lot about the underlying stats and how happy we are with that. But the second question he's got here is also one we haven't looked at. Uh, and I'm, I'll quote it directly. It says, if we're still up there in the coming months, do we bin off the FA Trophy to avoid last season's fatigue issues? Um, I think it's just about time for us to talk about Chester, uh, to talk about Gateshead. It's been enough time has passed, Charlie, <laughs> since we were... Hugging each other in tears of mm. sadness and delight when that Pritchard goal went in up in the northeast. FA Trophy, Charlie. Um, thoughts? I think the difference between last year and the difference between this year is that we have now actually got the squad 
to compete in both. Um, you know, there's you could almost you know if it was an FA Trophy game and we had a, a, a league game shortly after, you could make five or six, even seven changes, which we wouldn't have been able to do last year. However, just to answer the question in more simpler terms, I think, you know, realistically, we'd all rather win the league than win the FA Trophy, in my opinion. Well, that's that's what I feel anyway. I'd rather win the league and get promoted than win the FA Trophy at Wembley and stay in this, stay in this league. Uh, I think you wouldn't be alone in, in that. And kind of following on from that question, we've got one from Dave Merck, and I think that links into the FA Trophy and the fact that Charlie said with the largest squad, we can sort of afford to rotate. Mem, I'll address this one to you first. A question from Dave Mark. He says, can he, and this is by he, I'm assuming he means Brennan, manage a larger squad and keep them all happy? And the, the kind of follow-up from that is, will Winter and Riesel Johnson be content playing 50% of games? We talked about squad management a little bit at the start of the pod, but as the months go on, we talked about potentially losing players who you know might perform really well. We saw perhaps a bit of Idris that came in, been chat about Collins potentially in January. Mm. You obviously went on a limb and said that Winter would be potentially want to go by Christmas I'm going to hold you to that um, but do you feel that there's a risk perhaps that yeah we might lose a few of those players that you know are actually really valuable squad players but feel that they might be a, a really decent starter at another London place side that are pushing up the table as well I think what might happen so I think players who want to win something if we are near the top and if we, if we are challengers this season I think it would be a lot easier to keep the players happy because they'll be like, okay, I want to win something, and every player likes to be. Remember, do you remember? The, I, I think of like Jack Saville. So Jack Saville barely played in that team that were that Martin Allen went up with, but he was right in the centre of all the kind of the, the kind of the banter and all the sort of the, the motivational stuff that Martin Allen was doing. And I kind of feel that a play, players don't win a huge amount in their career. And so if somebody like if Winter and Rhysaw Johnson both play 50% of the games but they they look at it and think well we're top and I could win I could win you know I could win a medal here then those two will stick around to the end of the season mm. um, where I think it might be difficult is if we struggle and things don't st- things start getting a bit bitty and, and players are not playing that's when they start kicking you know toys you know throwing toys out of pram you know and asking to, to get moves I don't see it being an issue and I think actually the FA Trophy again referring back to that, that last question about the FA Trophy those will be the games where we keep we, we keep you know keep ro- the team rotated uh, rotated and keep the players in games to, to, so, so they feel con- so they feel that they're being involved. So that's where we will we should use you know use the FA Trophy use if we play the FA Cup, bring in a couple of fresh legs and that kind of thing. I think I think there's more enough games to go around this year. Mm. Yeah, particularly with the the longer games as well, which means that we're not going to be immune from injury. We've seen already with Boreham Wood on Saturday having only thirteen fit players, and you know Hartlepool already missing Mancini. I think another really important player for them. We were saying Charlie, you know, there is going to be score management is not necessarily going to have to be a proactive thing. We're going to have to react to some injuries that are inevitably going to crop mm. up, especially with the way we're playing and um, and and the pitches and changes and stuff like that. Paul Davis asked some great questions here about Hartigan, which I think we've we've hopefully covered in the pod. But but thanks so much for those, Paul. And um, a couple of questions that we're gonna we're gonna sort of dive into off the pitch, and then come back onto the onto pitch stuff here. And um, question from Daniel, uh, saying here that even though we're performing well, the gate isn't going up. How do we get more bums on seats? Well, perhaps Charlie, this is a good time for us to talk about the, the initiative the club is offering on Saturday. If you want to kind of quickly sum that up for us, and then more broadly, you know, is it as simple as winning football games gets bums on seats? Um, you know, or is there anything else the club could do? Do you think, particularly now that we don't have that syndicate offer? Yeah, um, I think that's a great initiative. I think 
football football at the Hive this weekend for a fiver if you've got a season ticket at another London club or a Hertfordshire club as the Twitter account has confirmed that Luton fans and Watford fans are welcome. Uh, will the Boreham Wood Ultras be welcome after the performances last time? And more importantly, will they, will they be seen next to you? How far do you think they're stretched out? Do you think they'll like, be like, like Norwich fans and stuff like that? For like, going, like, I don't oh, think they'll be coming to Barney, are they? <laughs> Luton, and, Luton and Watford are welcome. They can come. Not the same time. Not together. No, <laughs> yeah. no. And hopefully we're born, we've got hopefully they're away, somewhere far away. Um, but no, I think it's a, it's a really interesting question because... You know, there's the famous saying, you know, game, winning games puts bums on seats. I don't think that's a famous saying. Actually. I think, <laughs> I, I, I no, think no, I've no, just no, made no. that up. Johnny Cass in 2023. 5th of September 2023, <laughs> quoted in Hitchin. Um But no, winning games puts bums on seats. And I think Brennan said that as well. You know, we've heard it from loads of Barnet managers over the years. But it's, a diff- it's difficult. You can't, you know, you can't make anyone come to the games. Maybe some more advertisement in the area, in the local, not not the uh, Edgware or, or Harrow, like you know, in Barnet. Maybe more advertisement in Barnet. Um, hopefully, if we put on a, you know, get some get some uh, fans in um, on Saturday, pack it out, you know, put in a good result, stay top of the league. Who knows? We might convert some, but um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. It's one that we've covered a lot over the years on the pod. Um, I do think there's some real positive things going on, which I just want to quickly acknowledge. The Sports Association continuing to do some great work um, and building on the fantastic work that's been done over the last few years in terms of supporters, coaches and just general engagement. I think longer term, you know, we're seeing a gradual increase, or there was certainly after COVID, of attendance um, across the pyramid, particularly below the Premier League. I think the key for non-league football and clubs like Barnet in particular, we're scrapping out in a very congested area with lots of big top flight teams, is we have to kind of counter position yourself and be the opposite of what Arsenal and Spurs are offering. If you look at the Premier League, what's it offering? It's offering obscene amounts of money, both for players and also for you know people to attend the game. Increasingly a sanitised experience with lots of tourists, and you kind of lose that original feel. And I know that there are certain groups at Spurs and at Arsenal who are trying to reinvigorate that atmosphere, but... You know, we'll see if that if that goes ahead. Because ultimately, there's only so many people that can afford to pay two grand a year, or whatever it was. I was chatting to some guys on the train on the way home. Um, I think it was Sam Collins and his his friends who were saying to me that you know the Spurs season tickets are so expensive. So, you know, ultimately, is that going to be able to sustain an atmosphere? I don't know. But for Barnet, it's about like we got to be things that they're not. And if you if we all three of us think about our experiences of Barnet men, perhaps you know on the West Bank, Charlie and I on the East Terrace. Like the the thing that made it special was that it was very unique. It was very special. It was different. You know, you could you know it was a little bit naughty. It was a little, something a little bit different about it. And I appreciate the hybrid is a different venue, but it, it I think we've got to really emphasise that. Particularly with Dean in charge, like this is real football. You can you know you can as we did at Bournemouth, you can say something to a player and they will look at you when you say it. You know, it, it, there's not that that big barrier between the fans and the and yeah. the players, which there are at just so many Premier League clubs. So for me, it's kind of like short term. I think these deals like on Saturday are fantastic and the advertising, but long term, it's about really think about how we can capture the uh, the kind of essence of, of, of football and, and that relationship. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, not having the food that we currently have at the Hive because, you know, Jesus Christ. Boreham Wood was another place where the burgers were phenomenal compared yeah. to the absolute nonsense that we, that we serve up. Also, just on that as well, like, you know, if there are any fans, I don't want to be preaching or anything, but if there are any fans that did used to go to the Underhill and don't come to the Hive, I think just give it, just give it, a, ch- give it a chance. Like, I know it's not in Barnet, and I know it's not, you know, our home, but it's still Barnet Football Club, and you'll learn, you'll learn to love it. I love, I love going down the hive now. 
it's our home. It's our home now, and you just got to take it for what it is. And yeah. I love, I love my seat. I love seeing the, you know, the familiar faces every week in the Legends Bar and in the bar before the game. And you know, you just got to learn to love it, and you'll, you'll feel at home with the place after a while. Before I, before I come to you on this point, I'm so curious for your thoughts as well. I think one thing that's been really good has been the battalion. I appreciate, you know. Um, the sort of more militaristic aspect of what they're trying to do may not be uh, appreciated <laughs> by all. Um, but I, I think that there, things change. And like I think that there's a definitely a time and a place, and we'll get into it later this year, about Underhill and the Hive and 10 years on and, and where we're at with that. But um, I, I think if we don't, you know, there's not a single Barnet fan that wouldn't love to play in a lovely, say, you know, 8,000, 10,000 capacity stadium in the middle of Barnet where you could walk down from High Barnet and you could go and stand behind the goal on a massive terrace and I mean who wouldn't love that but for for now what we've got I think you're right it's about making it what it is and I think it is it's a different place it's a different stadium um, but there's so many things that are great at the moment and I think the atmosphere is a lot better than it was four or five years ago I think you know we're getting a much younger demographic of people coming in you know we've got the battalion I think are doing really good stuff and I think all of the positives massively outweigh any of the negatives if there are any and Brennan's obviously now someone as well who's who's really driving that fan base. Now, any any other thoughts perhaps on on that question there from um, from Daniel about increasing gates? Yes. <laughs> no, I, I to be honest, actually, my my thoughts around. I think what we're trying to do is our marketing is a bit analog, and we're living in a digital world. Um, the we have the only way to order a ticket at Barnet now is through the website. So we currently have a database of thousands of people that have bought a Barnet, a Barnet ticket at some point in the home end. Okay, forget about the OAS supporters, but in the home end. I don't understand why we are not doing a massive survey. There will be easily, because they, they, can, they can tell even, like if you go on the website and go in your account, it will tell you what games you've turned up on your season ticket. So every time you scan in, they know, the, this club know exactly how many times you've been to the ground, etc., do a massive report of all the fans that have come to the game and have, played, have only been to say 5 games, 10 games, 20 games you know, in the whole time we've been at the Hive let us reach out to them with a survey or some kind of, sort of you know, contact with them and let's try and get a feeling from all these stay away people who only come to one game here and there in a season and let's find out what is the real reason there is a lot of conjecture there's a lot of uh, anecdotal uh, evidence about why they not these, these things aren't happening, but we don't have the facts, and I feel that we're we're not using the data and the digit the, the data because it's all well and good, you know, ten of ten people shouting it's because of the cost of the ticket, but if the silent majority it's not about the cost of the ticket, it's about something else, then we we need to listen to that and we need to understand th those who are not coming to games. Now, for, from my personal experience, I personally shouldn't really get a season ticket because. Because of my family commitments, because of our commitments, I don't go to enough games, but I just can't bear to not have a season ticket because I can't bear to break that tie. But there are a lot of people who've made broken that tie and decided that they're not going to get a season ticket and would go to 10 games in a season, but they're not, they're going to five. How can we get them from five to 10? And is there a way, and, I, and I, when I was on the Support Association, I talked about this, about is there like a 10 game carnet we can give? Or is there, and I was thinking about this the other day, we like to do things with standing orders, okay? All our season tickets come out by standing or by direct debit. Could we not have a direct debit, a one game a month direct debit? So basically what you do is instead of paying 23 quid for a ticket, you pay 18. So it makes sense. So if a, club, if a person says, I can only make one game a, a, a month, you commit, to, you commit to one game 
at eighteen pounds, and you pay and you get a direct debit that comes out of your account every month for eighteen quid. It doesn't affect us season tickets because we get what well, ours is thirty six quid, and we get three games, sometimes four mm. games a month. But they get one game and they get it at a reduced level. And in some respects, it'd be in some cases it'd be like, I haven't been this month, and there's a game, I should use my ticket like that. And what we do is we're rewarding those who commit for the season and say, okay, you know what, I'm going to commit to one game a month for the season, and and we'll do it maybe eighteen quid or something like that. Some something like where we can use the, the in the you know the systems in place already that we already have. We've got the direct debits in place. We've got the data. Let's use that. Let's be more digital about it. And let's and let's remind everybody on the web database that we've got a bloody game every week. Yeah. We've got a Tuesday game, come and support the bees. Send them an email every week. I, I, I think I think you're right. I think that stuff is is really, really important. I think what we're all saying though, fundamentally on this question is that, you know, we appreciate that there are longer term identity questions around the club, um, and they are really important and I think definitely in the long term need to be addressed. There's also a, now and, and today and, and trying to make things work for next Saturday or next Tuesday, whatever it is, and I think there's definitely some stuff we can do on that. Um a couple of great questions that I, I really hope we have answered. Apologies if we haven't. Um, we'll come back to JJ's one about Dean Brennan's contract perhaps later on the next pod uh, Ben asking uh, how many of our preseason predictions already look like not happening I'm going to skip over that one very quickly because <laughs> I'm rapidly uh, losing faith in my one about Kapamba's goals um, we talked I think hopefully about uh, Arian's question about Pritchard and, and perhaps getting him amongst the goals is less important than everything else this is an interesting one I mean, an interesting one it's a random one John Cosgrove, who I think I was staying behind on Saturday, said, why does Laurie Walker have a blob of Vaseline put on the post of his goal before each half? Does anyone know why that is? My brother had mentioned this on Saturday. Did he, did he have an answer or just, just no, mentioning it? No, because we saw Gilmore put loads of Vaseline on the, on the post before they ran out. I think it's something to do with his gloves, so his gloves but, aren't too dry. Wouldn't Vaseline make it slippier? Slippier, yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe we can tweet him and ask him. Okay. Uh, Laurie, we know you sometimes dip in. <laughs> can you can you dip, slide in the DMs or whatever, do it publicly, but we want to know about this Vaseline I, business. I think we'll, we'll drop a message in. Or Gary, his dad. It's Gary's his dad, isn't it? Yeah. All right, come on, Gary, we need to know. Uh, well, anyway, uh, that's a question that we don't know the answer. Um, quick couple of questions from Biami. I think the question here first was Maurer ever a thought to sign? I think that's probably a no. Um, yeah, Mem shaking your head. Go give us a very quick summary of that, Mem. I think I think the club just because of Maurer's service um, and Dean. I think Dean likes Maurer. He just gave him a chance to train. I think I think Maurer was probably in some respects had one eye thinking, can I get, can I win a, win a contract here? Makes sense if he's in the building. He's without the club, isn't it? He's in Portugal with his son. It sounds like you got. It sounds like you know quite a lot about him, Charlie. Uh, see if I, know, see know, if I can pick him up with my, with my contacts. <laughs> uh, okay, a couple of questions from Tom Williams here, friend of the show, Tom Williams. Um, oh. Excellent. Uh, obviously, just about coming out of hiding now after forcing Ben Foster into retirement. Um, but yeah, Tom asked here about promotion being a realistic target. I think we've answered that. Um, very quickly though, uh, do we feel the most fluid team in the league? I think it's pretty difficult to answer that at this stage in terms of fluidity, but. I think we've been really impressed with how we've adapted to games. I do think there are some sides out there like your Gateshead and Orchard Games who might have something to say about that. But quick fire one here. One opposition manager, player or team you admire and why? So you can have either one. You don't have to do all three. Um, Mem, let's go to you first of all. Any opposition player, team or manager that you admire and why? Mm -hmm. It's a tough one. To be honest, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go... Um, from last year, because 
because I've not seen I've not seen all the teams, but I really I, I'm, I really like the way Ultron play, and I think that for a club of their size, um, they are they are you know they they're really solid they they really they seem to be a real, really well run club play a nice brand of football, um, and I think it's gonna be a tough game uh, against them this weekend. It's this weekend we're playing yeah, Saturday, yeah, yeah. Saturday. So yeah, um, I like I just think they you know a club like that, and I suppose Dawkin maybe as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Charlie, I'm gonna say Kevin Mayer and Darren Curry at Southend. I think what they what they've done there, with all the troubles they've had, all the uncertainty about whether they'd even have a job or even have a club. You know, not having a pre-season, having two or three subs. I think they've got, and without the without the ten point deduction, they'd be fifth. I think to do yeah to do what they've done there is admirable, and and you know. I I heard that um, he was in not he was in but I heard he was linked with the York job, and um, the York owner came out and said that we won't you know out of courtesy and out of politeness we're not even going to go there. That York owner is a very odd guy. He like he like sort of he loves himself. No, uh, my opposition manager I really uh, respect is David Unsworth, and I just want to say I really think he should be left in post for as long as possible because that's how much I respect him. Um, but, uh, you really got it in for him, haven't you, tonight? You know what? I just don't like him. I don't know what it is. It's just something about him I don't like. Um, but uh, on a genuine level, actually, and it's a bit of a controversial one, is uh, Luke Garrett. Um, I think I was really impressed how Boreham would set up on Saturday. I think they set up in a brilliant way in terms of defensively, and I think... I really respect the fact that he is honest in his post-match interviews, and I, yeah, I think he's actually just a really good manager. As much as I don't like Boreham Wood, I, I think that's that's fair. No, yeah, I, agree with that. I wouldn't watch his football every week, though. I, I wouldn't, but I, I think I respect. I, th- I don't think a man, I don't think there's any other manager in the league that would get this more as much out of Boreham Wood as he has. I really don't. Well, I really I agree, believe I that, and that. I think I think that's all you can ask someone to do. And you know, ultimately, if people. Um, yeah, I, I just respect it. Um, a couple of other kind of questions here from top, which we'll come back to later on about you know top opponents and playoff campaigns. Um, we talked, I think, a little bit about the from Duncan's question about Laurie Walker and the contribution for the uh, for the team. Um, we're just slightly under some sort of bug invasion here. In, in, in this, it's in just we, tell us what's going on behind well, it's me. Cause, it's because we basically it's so hot. And um, so we've you know, been taken over by. Um, we, we've we've opened up the windows in a, in in my in my office, this stroke studio, and um, and it's basically it's just we've like all the bugs have decided they've been attracted by the, the lights. Charlie, how many bugs are there in? <laughs> there's there's more bugs than there was questions <laughs> on the tour. <laughs> Put it that way. We might have to hurry this up. There's probably more bugs here than ball on its ground. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna finish. I would love to do these questions, but I am quite worried about the bug mageddon. Do you know what um, that is? No, we'll just start. We can cut this bit out, but you can just—they um, die overnight. Just turn the lights off and shut the doors, and they'll all be gone in the morning. I'm definitely going to keep that, and that's quite good. I have them in my flat. They'll go in the morning. Fun with insects. With Charlie <laughs> they, they die overnight. Listen. They die overnight. My brother gets them as well. They die overnight. Right before we all die, um, let's have a quick final question then. Uh, John Lewis, um, love to see you on Saturday, John. Uh, a couple of questions here. And he's got four here to finish off with. One, do we need another striker? We're saying, I think, no. Based on the first seven games, how many points are we going to finish on, Charlie? I'm going to say we are going to finish on... I'm going to say it, 90. Mem? 86. I was going to say 84. I'll go 84. Uh, John also has some other great questions there as well. Um, but, yeah, we, we think we've tried to cover as many of them as we can. 
Um, and yeah, I think we tried our best there, guys. I apologize if we haven't had time to go through all of them, but I am conscious of both the time and also these bugs that are flying around and uh, causing us a bit, or causing me a bit of stress. Uh, this is what happens when you come out to the countryside. <laughs> I think it's because we're still quite close to Cornwall. Um, but yeah, honestly, it's 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 been a really positive start to the season. We're really excited about where it's going. We're going to try and keep up with the monthly show throughout the, throughout the season. But um, until then, thank you so much for listening and for sending in all those fantastic questions. All the ones we haven't answered, we will make sure we answer on Twitter, perhaps between the three of us, and, and drop in some answers on there. Um, but until then, thank you very much, Charlie. Thank you. And thank you very much, ma'am. Thank you very much.